It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I know you have a lot to say about the unfolding events. For the longest time, you couldn't get anyone to pay attention to Afghanistan. They roll their eyes. They'd act indifferent. They'd say nobody cares. Now everybody cares, and they should. And this is why we should have cared all along, because of the way we got in. And the reason, because we were attacked. And what we tried to do along the way, made some mistakes, I'll give you that. But why we needed to stay, I've been trying to say for the longest time. And others now believe, and others now talking about it because you're now interested in it. The one person that didn't want to stay is President Biden. And man, if he wanted to leave, he could have planned a better exit, a better exit party, a better goodbye party. He will pay the price. And now America is paying the price internationally, globally. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The White House is expected to announce that anyone who got the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine should get a booster shot about eight months after their second dose. COVID cases continue. A third booster shot will be approved for for all in eight months. Welcome to the world, China. Thank you so much. Is it time we start living through this lockdown or try to kill it? Or let's talk about that. This is the mass mandate mania makes it through the courts and your classroom. Number two. How does the Biden administration miscalculate this intelligence so gravely? This is a fiasco. This is about leaving hastily and ineptly. Friends and foes alike are calling this withdrawal a fiasco. How do we get it so wrong? Who's responsible for the fall of operations and the Afghan government? And how is this playing in the media around the world? And what's next? And oh, yeah, the new guy in charge of Afghanistan was released from Gitmo. Number one. I'm now the fourth American president to preside over war in Afghanistan. Two Democrats and two Republicans. I will not pass this responsibility on responsibility on to a fifth president. I am president of the United States of America. And the buck stops with me. Right. But uh, the Afghan army didn't fight. The leadership was bad. Uh, Donald Trump left me a bad deal. The buck stops with me after that. As it unfolds, we'll bring you the latest from Afghanistan as the Taliban takes power. The U.S. scrambles to save allies and citizens caught in the country and avoid disastrous scenes like the one we saw on Monday, the many we saw on Monday. These images will humiliate Joe Biden, his administration, and America for generations. He essentially just crushed his legacy and the hopes of a successful presidency. I thoroughly believe it. And here's what I'm talking about in terms of the latest news. We understand the Afghan airport, the only one remaining, where we have our uh, flights coming in and out, has been surrounded. We are, have now roughly 3,500 troops on the ground. We want to put 7,000 are earmarked in total for the area. So right now we're telling, uh, most people say they can't get to the airport who aren't at the airport already. There's a lot of Americans, we understand, spread out throughout the country. They cannot move. There is no hope right now for them to be able to move. Checkpoints are keeping them in place. On the other side, Karzai and Herc Martyr to 
A feckless characters have made their way into Kabul, and they want to be part of this new Taliban government. The Taliban government says we'll invite other people in. Abdullah Abdullah, uh, evidently, the second in charge that didn't leave with all our money, like Gahani did, is now negotiating with Amar Mataki, uh, who, by the way, is a Taliban leader. So he says, I want all kinds in the Taliban government. We will see, because the rest of the country does not look like they want all kinds in the government. Women are already being told they will not go to school. They will go back to where they were. Pictures of women painted on murals, painted on walls, are immediately painted over. It's amazing. With all they have to do, they think that is a uh, is a priority. So if you want to know the human cost, people say, well, I don't want to go to war to save women. All right. Uh, that's not in our national interest. Well, what if you've been there for 20 years and you give women for the first time in generations uh, a chance at the life in which we live? A chance to get educated, to have a job, to be a leader, to, to be able to drive a car, and you just allow that to be taken away? I think that matters. You want to hear the human cost of it? A great exchange. Probably the best one I have heard in a press event, this concluding yesterday's Pentagon presser, with Admiral Kirby and this woman named Nazir Karimi. She's an Afghanistan journalist. Listen to her at Cut 11. As you know, I'm from Afghanistan, and I'm, I'm very upset today. Because Afghan women didn't expect that overnight all the Taliban came. They took off my flag. This is my flag. And they put their flag. Everybody is uh, upset, especially women. And I forgot my question. What do you ask? Where is my president, former President Ghani? People expected that he bye-bye with the people. And immediately he ran away. We don't know where is he. And we don't have a president. President Biden said that President Ghani, no, he has to fight uh, for us people. They have to uh, do everything, and we were able to uh, financially help them. But we don't have any president. We don't have anything. Afghan people, they don't know what to do. Women has a lot of achievement in Afghanistan. I had a lot of achievement. I, I left from the Taliban like 20 years ago. Now we go back to the first step again. Do you have any comment? We had our president, Ghani. He should answer to Afghan people. Well, I obviously can't speak for uh, Ashraf Ghani or where he is or what his views are. I wouldn't do that. Uh, but let me say with all respect that uh, that I understand, and we all understand, the, the anxiety and the fear and the pain that you're feeling. It's it's clear and it's evident. And uh, nobody here at the Pentagon is... Uh, happy about the images that uh, we've seen uh, coming out uh, in the last few days. So John uh, Kirby's shown great humanity. But you understand, this is a woman who just wants to be successful. She doesn't want to be president of the United States or president of Afghanistan. She just wants to have a job. You're not allowed to do that. But I know people listening right now say, well, not around to to uh, fix everyone's uh, problems. But when you're there for 20 years and you have begun to fix their problems, I think it's an issue. Number two, John Kirby's showing great humanity here. But I ask you, how could these military men and women— who hear these ridiculous orders like we're going to get out in a couple of weeks and it's going to be no problem and the 80,000 people with visa applications need to be processed and the thousands of Americans stuck behind enemy lines and Kabul won't fall. It'll be quite a while before Kabul falls. It's, they're not the South Vietnamese Army. How could his assess, your assessment to him be so wrong? Or how can he be allowed to run a country with the threat assessment is so grave and accurate and he still did it? 
That is why people are talking about the 25th Amendment, Senator Rick Scott. That is why Ryan Crocker, he is a nonpartisan ambassador who's done a remarkable job in Iraq and Afghanistan throughout his career, came out and said, I don't believe uh, that he is capable. If he's going to make this decision, I wonder if he's capable of being president, as I paraphrase what he's saying. So Joe Biden comes out and makes a speech and Basically says the Trump administration put me in a box. The Afghan people, uh, fighters won't fight. Uh, Gahani let us everybody down. Quick word on Gahani. According to Al Jazeera, he's in Uzbekistan. He put on his Facebook page he wanted to avoid bloodshed. Yeah, his own. And number two, you know what you do? You stick around, you negotiate like Abdullah Abdullah is doing. Number three, Gahani. Why exactly was he allowed to leave if eyewitness accounts are correct? With cars full of cash and a chopper full of cash. That's our money. This guy's a Columbia uh, University graduate. He knows all about the West. He's also involved in the World Bank. He took our money, and he took his country's money. That's our money. And he's allowed to leave fecklessly, lead uh, uh, terribly, and leave his country out to dry and die. How is he getting a pass? At some point, we got to ask that question. But the people like Jake Sullivan and Ned Price, they look scared to death. They don't understand what just happened. They don't understand how they got it so wrong. And for the military to get these orders and not plan for a quick exit, that those scenes on those helicopters, that's just not the people falling out of the sky. That's America's reputation crashing to the ground. And it was no coincidence that China came out with a statement, Taiwan, this is what America will do with you. That isn't a think tank conclusion that China might think in certain sectors of their military. That is a statement from their state-run newspaper. It is ridiculous that Rear Admiral Kirby, who I know and like, has to sit there and make excuses and tell flat-out mistruths about what the situation is on the ground. Listen to the media slamming. You got it. This is CNN, ABC, NBC slamming President Biden, cut 13. The president said that the buck stopped with him, but in fact, the speech was full of finger pointing and blame, especially for the Afghans. He did not in any way accept responsibility for the catastrophe that's unfolding in Kabul. I think the next month here, Lester's going to be horrendous for him, public relations wise. This is going to be a propaganda tool on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. You don't need a propaganda tool just by reading the facts. Uh, propaganda tool makes you think Madison Avenue, let's get a catchphrase. No, this is fact. So in 2015, the Afghans took over the lead in the fight, and we went to a defensive posture, right? So we've been losing 17 a year, and that's 17 too many, I understand that. And military accidents, sadly, have just basically have the same casualty number. Do you know the Afghans who were just told they weren't, no, they weren't fighting were losing? They've lost between 53 and 57,000. I heard over the weekend 75,000. But let's say conservative. Let's say 57,000. If you lose 57,000 Afghan fighters in six years, I believe you're fighting. I don't know. My old-fashioned, if you lose 2,600 since August 6th, I believe you're fighting. We're in 170 countries. Would it have hurt to keep 4,000 in Afghanistan, knowing that al-Qaeda is there, that it's the nexus of terror, terror university as soon as we leave? That it would have given women and uh, a chance maybe to have a job, become mayors, governors, uh, professors, teachers, better moms, more educated? 
I'm not saying we should have settled Afghanistan. I never said we did. You're tired of it. Okay, I understand. But what if I told you it definitely is effective in the war on terror? What if I told you it's directly linked to the fact there were very few attacks here and certainly not devastating attacks for 20 years? You think that's a coincidence? It doesn't mean we don't examine 20 years and see the missteps along the way that made this uh, military operation less successful, that the surge wasn't as successful. I have my own opinions on that. Should we have taken assets out of Afghanistan early and gone to Iraq? We can debate that. Should If we went in heavy early, would we, have to, would we even have to worry about the Taliban now? We can debate that. These are good questions. But that's not the question. At this hour, you thought the questions, yet the, the images we see yesterday was 640 people on a cargo plane and it just picks up and leaves. We don't even know who these people are. But we're dropping in Kuwait to screen them. Now, those people running full, spree, full stream like uh, Hussein Bolt trying to keep up with the cargo jet on the tarmac, those two that were caught in the landing gear and fell out of the sky, you think those are bad images? It's going to be worse. I'm looking at Josh Rogan's editorial today, and he talks about the Washington Post, New York Times, major news organizations who can't leave their hotel rooms. And then I read Brett Baer's report this morning saying his sources tell him the Kabul airport's been surrounded by Taliban. We could crush these guys. When the Marines land, are they going to crush them? I don't know. And if you're in Kandahar, Mazari Sharif, Herat, Bagram Air Base, are, what do you do today? How do you get out? Let alone those affiliated with us, we promised, who have been loyal to us, sacrificed their lives and family for us, though we promised citizenship should something happen, should you want it, 80,000 applications. I am not against that. People say, well, we should really watch, we shouldn't bring, no, no. If they had proven themselves in battle, willing to lay their lives down on us, and their background check checks out, these are the people we want in America, ones that would kill to be here, and will appreciate what they have here. And when they look around, they're not going to go around and talk about the injustices or uh, talk about policing needs to be reformed. They're going to kiss the ground. Those are the people we want. All right. uh, I have so much more to say, so many more sound bites to go through, so many more perspectives to bring forward. But I also want to hear from you, 1-866-408-7669. Or you can go to uh, briankillme.com, write me if you're at work, and don't feel comfortable to call on a radio show. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in 
Blue Collar Trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is one of the greatest disasters in modern American history. This is a disaster on humanitarian grounds for women and minorities. It's a disaster for our credibility. Can you imagine what people in Taiwan or Ukraine are thinking right now, watching this unfold. And the biggest thing, Sean, it's a disaster for our counterterrorism. America is less safe. Al-Qaeda 3.0 will come roaring back. Al-Qaeda and the Taliban are absolutely married at the hip. But this time, when we go back in, the Taliban are going to be better armed with taxpayer-funded equipment. We have no bases in the region, and we have no local allies because they've all been hunted down. And they're about to be hunted down, if not. And don't believe anybody's hype. And I wish it was true that Taliban said, we realize the error of our ways. We're going to have a coalition government. They're not. Abdullah Abdullah, who's a friend of Geraldo's. I could always text Geraldo and find out what really is happening. But they're meeting right now. Karzai came back with Herc Martyr, another warlord. He's come back, and they're trying to negotiate with the Taliban to see if they can have a role in this government. In the meantime, they've shut off every major roadway and artery to these major cities, so it's stopping everybody, whether it's a Western ally, whether it's somebody who just doesn't want to be Taliban, whether it's an American themselves. They are frozen in place. Please tell me you have a way to get them out, and it might be to fight them out. You might have to threaten the Taliban right now. We'll level in the palace. We're bombing the hell out of uh, everything here. If you don't uh, let us have access and free every single American, we have a roster in front of us. That may be just it. I was playing before we left, went to a break. I played the media montage who have turned on the president because they could not help but report the facts. Jake Tapper, Terry Moran, Chuck Todd. All right. Tonight, George Stephanopoulos will talk to President Biden. If he gives him an easy job, he should be fired. Former CIA analyst, Army veteran Matt Zeller would not let Brian Williams get away with reviewing the president's speech, which I'll play some clips of if I have time, but I think most of you have seen it already. Would not let him get away with the speech that he gave where he said it's a buck stops with me, but it's everybody else's fault. President Trump boxed me and the Afghans wouldn't fight. Uh, and the list goes on. Here's Matt Zeller, uh, the analyst and Army veteran, cut 15. Well, I'm curious to hear your reaction of this consequential speech by the American president, didn't run from it. He owned it. He owned his decision. He owned the fact that, as he put it, the buck stops with him. I hope he gets to own their deaths, too. I, I don't, I feel like I watched a different speech than the rest of you guys. I was appalled. There was such a profound, bold-faced lie in that speech. The idea that we planned for every contingency, we sent them... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Plan after plan on how to evacuate these people. Nobody listened to us. They didn't plan for the evacuation of our Afghan wartime allies. They're trying to conduct it now at the 11th hour. The thing that they were most concerned about was the optics of a chaotic evacuation. Optics, and they are. I'm not kidding. They cared about the optics. It couldn't have been worse, and the worst is yet to come. How how are they going to get out? So now we have to tell the Taliban our condition. No, no. The Taliban now got the country because you turned over the keys on purpose, without any conditions, took out your Air Force because you didn't want to fight the war anymore. You don't believe there's a war on terror over there. When in 21 of 24 provinces that we know of, Al-Qaeda's got a big presence, and we just told you that the man that you were vice president for, Barack Obama, decided to swap five Taliban Al-Qaeda officials for Bo Bergdahl, two of which, two of which are in the Taliban cabinet, one of which should lead it all. Used to be affiliated with Osama bin Laden and also was the one with the capital punishment, cutting off hands and beheading people for what they say are crimes. Oh, and did I mention stoning? That too. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The truth is, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed, sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. So I I will say this about the speech. I actually think he believed every word he said. There are speeches that he he reads. He doesn't even understand what he's saying. Uh, The prompter's too far away. His eyesight is bad. Uh, It's not his stutter. He doesn't know what he's saying. This is him. I mean, you could see some of the quotes that other people have of him that he said himself that you have on camera. He wanted Afghanistan a long time ago. He didn't want to get bin Laden. He didn't want to do the surge. He cut uh, Petraeus off on the numbers he needed in Europe. He had to go into Europe to get him. NATO provided them. And he's been saying, we got to get out, we got to get out, we got to get out, over the horizon. These are the terms he's always used, even when he was in his prime. And that's why I believe the speech he gave was really his words, which is also sad because he has no exit. He thought he can get out there. It went too quick. Didn't anyone brief him and say that the Afghan army is not 300,000? Didn't they brief him and say they've lost 2,600 since the first week in August of this year? They've been hollowed out. They've lost 50 to 60,000 since 2015. These numbers are available. Are they not available to him? Joining us now, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. He's running for governor in Texas, senior fellow at Media Research, and the 22nd Florida's uh, former congressman from the 22nd uh, District. Colonel, uh, I believe he believes he what he was saying. So where did where did who dropped the ball here? 
Well, yeah, and I think one of the things you have to understand, the history of Joe Biden when he was a young senator, uh, he had a hand in the uh, the Saigon pullout uh, from and what we saw happen, the debacle in Vietnam that led to the killing fields of Pol Pot. I did not so realize that. Is, he had a hand in that? Well, yeah, he was a young senator at the time who was not supportive of, you know, our efforts uh, in, in Vietnam, and he was part of that abandonment as well. So he's being consistent. And and I think that you're absolutely right. You know, he spoke with conviction and he owns this. He he said that he stands by his decision. And so whatever comes out of Afghanistan, we know what's going to happen. It's going to become a new killing field. Uh, we already know what the Taliban is doing, going around house to house. But the long term ramifications for this <clears throat> is our, our credibility on the international stage. And who is going to trust Joe Biden going forward? And it's just going to embolden the adversaries, the geopolitical enemies that we have being Russia, China, Iran, and what have you. So I think that, yeah, he may have come out and said something that he firmly believes in, but in the long run, this is going to be detrimental. And I don't know if he's going to be able to show up at any 9-11 memorials uh, here in a couple of weeks. I think he's going to think he's going to go. They're going to keep people far away, and he's going to go to places like New York where they maybe support them, but if there's veterans and firefighters that, and cops that show up, I can't see how it would, would happen. Now they really got to shield them. This is a self-inflicted wound. Yeah. Now, Colonel, how do you handle this? The way we have it set up is civilians control the military. The military are the yeah. experts. You know, we don't ask fans to run football. You know, big fans, great football fans can't do a good job running a football team. You know what you're watching. You know what you want. You just don't know how to do it. But now— he turns around, he says, I'm pulling out. And they say, well, you know, we should leave 4,000. I'm worried this thing's going to fall apart. No, and they say, and he, goes, he goes, no, I'm pulling out. And Jake Sullivan says, no, I'm pulling out. So it's incumbent upon the military to then come up with the contingency plans. You stop me if I'm wrong here. They obviously didn't. Or could this be the one they did not plan for? I mean, what happened here? Well, for whatever reason, I don't know if people were sharing those intelligence assessments. If we did have good eyes on the ground that would be able to track the Taliban movements, we should have known all these things. But two things that are really disconcerting. Number one, why would you make a move like this in the middle of the summer when we know that all the mountain passes are wide open, the Taliban can freely transit back and forth from their sanctuaries in, in Pakistan? And so you saw this blitzkrieg of the Taliban coming in and taking advantage of the situation. The other thing is that if we knew that this was something that they were going to pursue in the Biden administration, why would you have shut down Bagram Air Base and completely abandoned it? Because now what do we see happening? We're trying to extricate ourselves out of the Kabul International Airport. The Taliban have completely surrounded it. So in other <clears> words, our troops, the five, 6,000, he's you know, redeployed back into the zone. They are now in a in a very untenable situation where they could be easily cut off from any resupply uh, or any uh, you know refurbishing of, of their their arms and things of that nature. So this is not a good situation, not well thought through uh, whatsoever. And I think that we have senior military leadership, uh, civilian leadership of our military, and definitely people in the intelligence community that let the American people down. They did. Do you know Kabul Airport? Have you been there? I've, yeah, I spent two and a half years in Afghanistan, so I know Kabul Airport very well. Can you give us As an idea? Fact, Can you give us an idea of what we're seeing? Because I see one airstrip, and they say the Taliban have yeah. ringed it. The 82nd Airborne's coming in, 3,500 on the ground. Can you give uh, the listeners an idea of what our guys are going to be facing as they try to get the Americans out through that very airport? 
Yeah, absolutely right. There was one major um, uh, roadway or a boulevard, if you want to call it that, that leads into Kabul International Airport. It comes out of uh, what is called Masood Circle, and it's very easy uh, to to be able to cut that off. And you just you would have to run a gauntlet to get down there to the uh, Kabul International Airport, which is kind of like right in the middle of the city in in a, in a way. Uh, one side you have border with uh, with a mountain range, which means that uh, the Taliban can uh, get over there in those mountain range positions, and they can. Can, uh, restrict. They can uh, interdict any type of aircraft that is flying in. So our our men and women are truly, you know, isolated. They're being uh, in, in Kabul International Airport. There's no way that they can get any type of resupply coming in unless it is flown into them. And if the Taliban owns the airspace, then we're in a lot of trouble. And that's why it's just insidious. If this is a complete debacle in that if you really want to do this and do this right, you should have held on to Bagram Air Base so that you could have controlled all of the uh, the infill and the exfill routes. You had a secure air base. You had no conf- uh, conflictions with uh, any airspace. You could have controlled that with your own military air traffic controllers. So no one had a plan for this. Uh, and, and Joe Biden was lying to the American people about that yesterday. So Barbara Starr, CNN, asked this question to John Kirby, cut nine. The world has seen all the scenes at the airport. So my two questions are, what failed in your planning? Because you didn't plan for this. You would not have planned to fly in such dangerous circumstances. And how do you determine where the responsibility lies for this failure? Well, first of all, Barbara, I would take issue with uh, uh your designation of this uh, operation at the airport as a failure. A lot of what you're seeing transpire, the reason we can be so quick uh, with upwards of 6,000 troops is because we anticipated the possible need to do this. It's a rear admiral. What's he saying? Well, he's saying a bunch of gibberish. First and foremost, I was stationed at Fort Bragg, and you always have what is called a ready brigade that's ready to go anywhere on a contingency plan, and they have a 36-hour recall and uh, deployment timeline. And then you also always have a Marine Expeditionary Unit uh, that is, you know, there in the Persian Gulf, and they are able to conduct what is called NEO operations, non-combatant evacuation order operations. And so those things are standard. Those things are already there. So there was no real, you know, spinning up or anything that he is trying to talk about. This was a failure. And the fact that we now are putting our troops in the middle of a hornet's nest Right in the middle of Kabul, where the Taliban has already come in and taken over the presidential palace, and they're in an airport that is surrounded by the enemy, and the enemy will be dictating the conditions and the terms by which aircraft can come in, aircraft can leave, who can get to the airport, who cannot get to the airport. So, uh, quick thing, you ran for governor of Texas. If people want to support you, where do they go? They go to west, the number four, Texas.com. That's west for texas.com and let me tell you something else we talked about it on air uh, this morning this has huge ramifications and consequences for us here in texas and the united states because we have a 1254 mile border that is completely unsecured and when you now have reestablished a large uh, sanctuary for islamic terrorists and jihadists they're going to find a way to train, equip, and prepare, and then work their way into the United States of America by way of working with the cartels. And for those who think that America, and it was a great point uh, a veteran just pointed out to me today on television, 
He said, if you think that America is not wanted there, why are they chasing after our planes hoping to come with us? Uh, we were wanted, that we were not hated. The Taliban hated us, but they were never popular with their people. No. You know, for 20 years, uh, people there in Afghanistan, especially little girls and women, got the taste of freedom. And now Joe Biden and this uh, this incredible strategic blunder and failure has snatched that taste of freedom away from them. Uh, Colonel West, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Take care, Brian. All right. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I'll be able to take some of your calls, go over some more of this information. Uh, also, we are, might be looking at a third booster shot because the ones we got only last eight months. That's the latest report. We'll go over it. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, this is a problem that we've seen actually unfold over several months. I wrote another piece back uh, in May saying that Biden's got a process problem in his national security structure. It's too insular. They're not taking on board input from institutional experts. And we saw it play out on the border. We saw it play out with the refugee decision in places like Cuba and Israel. They're not operating at peak performance. They are avoiding uh, some of these hard questions that need to be answered before they take a decision, and I think he needs to shake it. That's an Obama official, Bob Bruin. The audio is not great, but the comments certainly are searing. He has a column in the USA Today. He said a couple of them. He said that it's not working. It didn't work in Cuba. It didn't work in Israel. He has a huge problem at the border, and it's ineptness. Remember, it was a small thing, but it meant a lot. When the, when you come over in a new administration, whether it was Jimmy Carter, it was brand new. Bush was so experienced. He was governor of Texas. But everybody around him had done this so often. Colin Powell, Secretary of Defense, uh, Cheney became vice president. So much experience was around him. He had Andy Card's been there forever. Things didn't slip through the cracks. You might not like his decisions, but it wasn't unorganized. And I thought, you know, the problem with Trump was he brought in so many people, fired so many people, it got very unorganized. But when, when Joe Biden missed D-Day— an anniversary of D-Day. Didn't even have a press shop make an announcement, and he had a speech and brought up something else about Pride Month or something, or or transsexuals should have equal rights or play sports with others. I'm not sure, or have their own Olympics, whatever his press was. Just totally forgot that. I said, wait a second. Where's the checklist? Where are the professionals? Where are the adults in the room? Joe Biden just planned an exit out of Afghanistan without an exit plan. Where's the adults in the room? He never had them. And this is what people are saying now. Jake Sullivan's got to be fired. This guy, Ned Price, is ridiculous. Listen to Ned Price try to talk his way out of this disaster. I find it very mysterious that we're still looking at yesterday's pictures. We're not seeing Tuesday's pictures, which i got to get to the bottom of that. Um, uh, We'll try to look at it in social media, but it's not coming through traditional sources. The 640 people on a cargo plane, we're not getting that. The people falling out of the sky on cargo planes because they were caught in the landing gear on purpose, hoping to hide in that gear and land in another country, not seeing that. So uh, Joe Biden is lost. Listen to Ned Price trying to explain his way out of this mess. Cut eight. 
The fact is that a future Afghan government that upholds the basic rights of its people, that doesn't harbor terrorists, and that protects ba the basic rights of its people, including the, the basic fundamental rights of half of its population, its women and girls. The UN Security Council issued a joint press statement earlier today calling for a new government that is united, inclusive, and representative, including with the full and, full and meaningful participation of women. What's he talking about? You really think you have some leverage with Afghanistan that you just pulled out of that was negotiating with Ambassador Khalilzad, who, if you look at pure results, he's done a colossally bad job for America. He's an Afghan by birth. People counted on him for knowing the culture. He might know the culture, but he can't cut a deal. Awful. What he, what he cut for Trump and what he executed for Biden. Another guy he left in place. I have no idea why. So now, now we're waiting to we'll see if the Taliban is going to have an inclusive government. They said they would, but the problem is they cut off every checkpoint. They're not letting Americans leave. According to Josh Rogan, we've got about 10,000 Americans in Kabul. They can't move. How many are in Kandahar, Herat, some uh, Mazarai Sharif, some major cities? How many are caught there and don't even want to put up their hand because they're afraid of being traced and killed? So we are trying to get a plan together. We're trying to get some leverage, and they shouldn't have left the country when we're doing that. And to get on national television and get that and maybe get a free ride on that is uh, it's really terrible. Absolutely terrible. Here's a couple other things to share with you. Gahani, according to a report in the New York Post today, reported by Al Jazeera is in Uzbekistan. He said he was trying to uh, avoid bloodshed. Yeah, his blood, 72 years old. If Abdullah Abdullah, the number two, could stick around and negotiate, you could have too. Number two. Evidently, he has four cars full of money, our money. I heard from a high-ranking Trump official that dealt with him regularly that they knew he was a thief. He called, he was called a thief to his face, and he laughed. Then called Lindsey Graham to try to use leverage to get America to hand over more money. So he failed this country, ran like a coward, and now left no government to negotiate with. Of course, the Taliban took the palace. Congratulations. 3,500 U.S. forces on the ground. It's going to go up to 7,000. I thought, Mr. President, you wanted everybody out. It was time to get out. No more Arlington graves. Wait a second. If you don't want any graves in Arlington, and who does? I don't run on the pro-grave, uh, let's make Arlington bigger party. Nobody does. Then why do you have to put 7,000 troops and said you plan for every contingency? No one believes that. So you want to hear, I shouldn't say no one. Listen to what Nicole Wallace says. So some people are caught up in this poll that, well, 90 uh, percent of Americans, everybody, every American wants to be out of Afghanistan. It's a false poll. Why? Because if you don't say why, if, if staying in Afghanistan with a small number of troops makes America terror free or terror protected. Would you put their troops there? Yeah, especially when they're not in a hot war. Haven't had a loss, thankfully, for 18 months. Here's Nicole Wallace, cut 16. 95% of the American people will agree with everything he just said. 95% of the press covering this White House will disagree. And for an American president to finally be completely aligned with such an overwhelming majority of what the American people think about Afghanistan is probably a tremendous relief to the American people. She uh, evidently was an outstanding member of the Bush administration. I met her when she was Nicole Devenish. Uh, 
got to know a little when John McCain was running for office, worked with um, <laughs> uh, Governor Palin, vice presidential candidate, which was an epic fail, an epic disaster. I don't know whose fault it was, but they did let everything out that talked about how little she knows about history and policy. And number three, she has totally gone to the dark side. I mean, that is flat out illogical for you to think that that speech is going to be embraced by 95% of the American people. Because on the other side, we have pictures of what America is actually seeing. And we're embarrassed to a degree we've never been embarrassed before. What do you think about what I think? BrianKillMe.com. If you want to talk about better moments in American history, BrianKillMe.com. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, right now, the Pentagon is giving an update on the situation in Afghanistan and beyond the borders in order to get us out. That's the big key. You know what the disaster was yesterday. Coming up in about 34 minutes, Senator Lindsey Graham will be here live. We'll do a simulcast on Fox Business Network. That'll be coming up with Stuart Varney in about 50 minutes. But right now, uh, as we wait to see if Admiral John Kirby and some of his readouts provides any news, we know through the questions, he sits there and gives basically everybody the Heisman. We know if he spoke as a rear admiral, we'd have much more candid answers. Uh, but it's my privilege to bring in Mike Morell. He is the former acting and deputy director of the CIA. He's got a great pod ta- a podcast, and that podcast is called Intelligence Matters, and he joins us now. Uh, Mike, welcome back. Brian, it is fantastic to be with you again. I've always enjoyed being on your show. Well, I appreciate it. We've been rolling your sound bites against your will for the last few days to get your assessment on this unprecedented situation. Michael, if I went to you July 15th and I said, it looks like we're really getting out of Afghanistan, uh, do you think we'll do it smoothly? What would you have said? I would have said, you know, based on not talking to the folks I was talking to, Um, On July 15th, I would have said, yeah, this will go smoothly because they've had months to prepare for this, right? The preparation actually should have started um, before the president made his decision. Um, But once the president made the decision in April, um, there should have been a a significant, rigorous, um, all-of-government process to do the two things – that we had to do in the short run, right, which is get our own people out, get all the Americans out, whether government or non-governmental, and then get those Afghans who worked closely with us and whose lives will be in danger going forward, get them out, right? Um, And, you know, that didn't happen. Not close. Uh, Not close. Michael, it looks like there's uh, thousands of Americans still in Kabul. I worry about the ones outside Kabul. And it looks as though, if the reports are right, we heard this morning, the Taliban is beginning to ring themselves around the airport. And we only have 3,500 on the ground. We're supposed to get up to eight. Where do they go? How do they land? What do they do if the Taliban don't get out of the way? So, Brian, the Taliban want us gone, right? So the last thing that they want to do is to do anything that's going to keep us there. So... 
it's a worst case scenario of them attacking us. It's not something that you can not worry about and you have to prepare for it. But um, from a strategic level, right, they don't want to do that. Um, my concern is that they don't control everybody who works for them, right? They don't control every Taliban soldier. So somebody might take matters into their own hands um, and start shooting at Americans. But from a strategic perspective, the Taliban want us out of there. So they want to do everything they can to, to not give the United States of America a reason to stay. True. But we've been wrong about so much to this point. You would think logically that would be the case. I'm not sure it is the case, but it doesn't seem the military thinks that's the case. I mean, why would they, if they want us out, why would they stop us from leaving the airport? Well, I, I think they're encircling the airport to make sure that none of those U.S. troops leave that area, right? Um, in the back of their mind, the, 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 the low probability scenario in their mind is that these troops aren't just here to help people get out. These troops are going to turn on us. Right. And the more that they have that idea in their mind, the greater the risk to those troops. So I think they're encircling the airport um, not to prevent people from getting in because they want people to leave. Um, but they're they're preventing U.S. forces from getting out. That's that's what they're there for. So uh, right now, uh, the it seems though, if you look at uh, Josh Rogan's uh, column today in his in his uh, Twitter account, there's real concern for The Washington Post, New York Times and others that there's a pathway to get to the airport, and I worry about those in the uh, on the outer sections of the city as well as those allied with us. What do you do right now if you're head of the CIA? So if I'm head of the CIA, I'm concerned at this moment about one thing. So if you think about the hundreds of thousands of Afghans that worked for the United States over the last 20 years, and that's not an exaggeration in terms of what the number is, you know, they worked for the U.S. military. They worked for the State Department. And, yes, they worked for CIA. Um, of the ones that I really worry about are the ones that worked for my former organization. There will be no leniency toward them. So if I was the director of the CIA, I'd be spending 24-7 trying to figure out how to get our friends, those people that worked for us for 20 years, those people who didn't want to stop fighting, I was actually talking with one of them over the weekend. He wanted to continue to fight. Those are the people, those are the people who, you know, work for us, the ones who were patriotic about Afghans' future, right? I'd be doing everything I could, Brian, to get as many of those people out of the country because they're going to get rounded up and they're going to be brutally murdered. We're already seeing some ugly scenes. I saw these uh, two men walking through the street. They had hot tar in their faces. They had a noose around their neck that was in Herat. You can see those pictures are being circulated now. So, Michael, you, you answered Richard Engelback today, who's a fine reporter for another network. He says the failure to anticipate the rapid fall of Afghanistan, including Kabul, is a U.S. intelligence failure. You said what is happening in Afghanistan is not the result of an intelligence failure. So bring us inside the numbers. You know, we see what the president decided— we don't know what he's been briefed on and what he's been warned on. What do you know? So I don't know exactly what the intelligence community told him prior to his decision, right? And that's the important moment is before he made his decision in April, did the intelligence community say two years um, or did they say three to six months or did they say nine months? 
Um, I'm hearing they said 90 days. So the, so the important question, Brian, is when does the clock start? Um, I think most people think the clock starts when the last combat boot leaves the ground. Not true. The clock started in April when the president made the decision because that's when everybody's psychology changed, right? That's when the Taliban knew it was going to win. That's when the Taliban started encircling provincial capitals. That just didn't happen in the last few weeks, right? That started in April. And that's when the Afghan national security forces started falling apart. There were people, you know, deserting in small numbers prior to April. But when the president made the announcement in April is when people started deserting in droves, either going home or joining the Taliban because they knew the writing was on the wall, right? And I am certain, I don't, I don't know for, you know, but I'm certain the intelligence community saw all that. So if they said three to six months and the clock starts in April, not too bad, huh? Not too bad. Um, if you start the clock, you know, 10 days ago, then it looks worse. But I also think that Yesterday, the president's speech was interesting to me for a lot of reasons, but one of those reasons was he essentially took the intelligence community off the hook. Although he said, you know, we thought this would take a little longer, he also said we were prepared for every contingency, right, Um, including a very rapid deterioration. So no matter what the intelligence community said, he said yesterday they were prepared for this. Well, if this is being prepared for something, I'd like to know what not being prepared looks like. So what you're saying, hey, Intel told you, we can't tell you how to get ready, but we'll tell you what will happen. So you leave them off the hook. As an American, you're horrified. But as an intelligence expert, you're saying, what else do you want us to do? And I feel bad. In fact, I talked to somebody that talked to Gina Haspel, and evidently she was so incensed on Sunday that she says, I feel like calling a press conference to set the record straight. Um, yeah, so- and, that's, and that's what I was trying to do. Right. And 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 two other things I'll tell you right about the intelligence piece of this is the intelligence community for the last 20 years has been more pessimistic than any other organization in the U.S. government about how this was going and whether victory was possible. So to blame intelligence now um, infuriates me, absolutely infuriates me. The other thing I'll tell you is that. In early 2013, when I was acting director the second time, um, we were having a series of meetings with President Obama um, about what the troop level should be in Afghanistan. And he was the one, just to remind everybody, he had one time with General Petraeus, first McChrystal, then Petraeus, when McChrystal was forced to resign, took over. And he said, that's the good war. And he did a surge. But he pulled out troops before they could ever hit their maximum and hold. And he also gave an exit date. Go ahead. Right. Absolutely. Um, but 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 I did a prep session for 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 one of these NSC meetings, and I had all these Afghan experts in my office, and I asked them, guys, if we leave, how long? How long will it take? And the two guys in the room who had spent more time in Afghanistan than anybody else, two guys who had each spent two tours as our chief of station there, both said this is going to go really fast, six months. And I've been saying that ever since. I said it in testimony last year to the U.S. Congress. couple of things. How do you feel? What does it make you – what do you think about the fact that 
the Bo Bergdahl swap of uh, the, the Taliban five, uh, one of which is now heading up Afghanistan. And right. the other got out. And the one that got out basically worked with bin Laden uh, for a while. And he was a uh, he was a higher up. He was told basically too dangerous to release. He was released. Now he's running uh, the Taliban government. And you have another guy who lies, said, I just want to take care of my dad. I'm a shopkeeper. He's also involved in the Taliban government. How did they get out of Gitmo? So this was the desire by the Obama administration to go to zero in Gitmo, right? So they were doing everything they could to find other countries willing to take the folks who were at Gitmo. Um, and, of course, it, certain people, it gets really hard. But for these five, right, they got the agreement of um, Qatar, you know, to take them and to make sure that they weren't involved um, in, you know, combat operations in any way um, or raising money in any way, right? I don't know to what extent that worked because I left, you know, soon after they they were released, um, but that was the idea. Um, you know, you can argue uh, whether that was a good idea or a bad idea. You can. It's a terrible it idea does, for Bo Bergdahl, a deserter. It does, it does, Brian, raise the really important question about where does al-Qaeda go from here? And my, my deep concern is that the Taliban will welcome al-Qaeda back. In fact, yep. al-Qaeda is already there, right? The Taliban says they're not. They are. They've been fighting side by side for 20 years. They've spilled blood together. They've intermarried. They will be there. And the al-Qaeda guys who are currently in Iran, uh, I would guess, are going to join the al-Qaeda guys in Afghanistan. And al-Qaeda guys in other parts of the world are going to come back to Afghanistan. They're going to have a celebration of defeating the United States. And they're going to start rebuilding, reconstituting their attack capability. And, you know, I've heard people in this administration on the Hill say, oh, two years to three years for them to rebuild that capability. No, I'd say six to 12 months if we don't do what we need to do. What we need to do now is pay extraordinarily close attention to them from an intelligence perspective. And when they start to rebuild those capabilities, reach out and degrade them. Here is significantly. Here is what uh, obviously Green Beret Congressman Michael Waltz fought in Afghanistan for years. Cut twenty-five. This is one of the greatest disasters in modern American history. This is a disaster on humanitarian grounds for women and minorities. It's a disaster for our credibility. Can you imagine what people in Taiwan? or Ukraine are thinking right now, watching this unfold. And the biggest thing, Sean, it's a disaster for our counterterrorism. America is less safe. Al-Qaeda 3.0 will come roaring back. Al-Qaeda and the Taliban are absolutely married at the hip. But this time, when we go back in, the Taliban are going to be better armed with taxpayer-funded equipment. We have no bases in the region, and we have no local allies because they've all been hunted down. Is he overstating anything? No. Um, and I'd say, look, we have made so many mistakes in Afghanistan over a very long period of time, including prior to 9-11. We've made so many mistakes, and I'm worried that we're about ready to make yet another one. So think of all the mistakes we've made just in the past few weeks, right? Um, I'm worried that we're going to make another one, and I'm worried that with our focus on China being as significant as it needs to be, we're not going to have the resources to focus on Afghanistan and the rebirth of al-Qaeda 3.0. And so I'm deeply concerned 
that they will regenerate a homeland attack capability, and we will be right back to where we were on September 10th, 2001, but with that better armed Taliban that the congressman talks about. Uh, Michael Morrell, you can get his uh, podcast, and I hope you do, Intelligence Matters, uh, and we can get it wherever you get your podcast. Michael, always great to talk to you. We, I wish we did need your expertise uh, as much as we do, but we do. Thanks so much, Michael. Great to be with you, Brian. Take right. care. And, of course, uh, 9-11, he was right there. Uh, when we come back, your call is 1-866-408-7669. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, in many ways, uh, I think of John Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it unfolded quickly, and uh, uh, the president thought that everything would be fine, and uh, that was not the case. But President Kennedy took responsibility for what took place. And I, I, I strongly recommend to President Biden that he take responsibility, admit the mistakes that were made. Well, that is... Not a right-wing pundit. That is Leon Panetta, who worked with the vice president and senator when he was CIA director. And when he was uh, he was a Republican in the 80s, he switched over, become chief of staff for President Clinton. They've known each other for decades. Leon Panetta is extremely critical, but he's extremely candid. Cut 19. And he's got to make clear to the American people that as commander in chief, he is going to continue to protect our national security and that we are going to go after terrorists wherever the hell they're at. He's just got to ensure that the United States of America remains a strong world leader that can work with our allies to try to protect peace and prosperity. That's the message he's got to give the American people and the world, because our credibility right now uh, is in question. Yeah, absolutely. And China even brought that up and gave a message to Taiwan. You don't think North Korea is taking note too, as well as Russia when it comes to the Ukraine. More from Leon Panetta. He went on to say his sources told him he didn't really spend much time on this issue. What I think really concerns me, the American people, which is the execution of that decision. He said, well, what really went wrong with this? He said, I don't know. It just struck me that the day they were crossing their fingers and hoping chaos would not result, and it doesn't work out that way. Panetta went on to say, he said he was unsure what to tell the numerous contacts in Afghanistan, calling him seeking a way out of the country. Right now, it just does does not look like we have our act together. He expressed surprise at what's happening. He said, it's not the Joe Biden that I often saw the National Security Council raising questions about the planning involved in any decision the president had to face. He would be among those who would say, have we thought about all the consequences? No kidding. But he was a Joe Biden. And this is the Joe Biden that wanted to get out of Afghanistan. And the fact is, he didn't have anybody watching his back to say this will not work the way you want to do it. Or this could happen. Shows he's got a bad staff. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I stand squarely behind my decision. After 20 years, I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. That's why we're still there. We were clear-eyed about the risks. Really? It was the worst dismount and dismantling of an operation in all of our lifetimes. And um, believe me, I I just don't think anyone listening to me right now is around in World War I, perhaps. Lindsey Graham joins us now, the center and ranking member of the Senate Budget Committee and great foreign policy knowledge and knows Afghanistan from firsthand knowledge and has traveled there with then-Senator Joe Biden. Senator uh, Graham, is he right? There was no good time to leave Afghanistan? Uh, no, he's been wrong about everything. He's wrong about the border. He was wrong about withdrawing from Iraq, which led to ISIS. He's wrong about Iran. He's miscalculated the Ayatollah. If the Ayatollah had a nuclear weapon, I think he would use it. Uh, he doesn't understand what he's done here. Uh, the Pentagon is misleading the American public as I speak. Let's let's just be logical for a moment. We have 60 to 80, maybe 100,000 people eligible to come into the United States because they worked with us faithfully while we were there. How do they get to Kabul if they're not in Kabul, Brian? Do we have a plan for somebody in Kandahar where most of the fighting occurred? No. To get to the airport in Kabul, okay? So the Pentagon is misleading people. This evacuation is a complete shit show. Let me tell you why. The people who helped us are all over Afghanistan. The Taliban have taken over the whole country. There's no way for an interpreter, their family, or anybody else who helped us in Kandahar, Herat, or up north to be able to get to the Kabul airport. All traffic has been closed. There's a ring around the Kabul airport. How did the people in Kabul get to the airport? The Taliban are not cooperating in my view. They should be safe corridors all over the country to allow people who helped us to get to Kabul and be flown out by uh, the American Air Force. That doesn't exist today. So President Biden's debacle here has led to tens of thousands of people who risked their lives to help us being left behind to be abused and murdered. Number two, uh, he has set in motion, President Biden, uh, a pathway to another 9-11. There are 15 provinces in Afghanistan where the al-Qaeda exists today. Within six months, there will be a surge of al-Qaeda fighters. There are 5,000 prisoners released uh, from the jails in the last seven or eight days. A lot of foreign fighters, al-Qaeda types, not 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 Afghan, al, uh, uh, Taliban, are now loose in Afghanistan. They will reform, reunite with their old buddies, and it's just a matter of time before the training camps open. And by not having a residual force on the ground, we've lost the ability to disrupt al-Qaeda operations. You can't trust the Taliban to police al-Qaeda. They're aligned with them ideologically. So Joe Biden canceled the insurance policy against another 9-11 by withdrawing our residual force. I've always believed that we had to have a residual counterterrorism force in Afghanistan as an insurance policy against another attack on our homeland, 
The good news was it could have been four or 5,000 people. That's all we needed. Now we're naked and blind in Afghanistan. It would be like canceling a fire insurance policy on your house while the neighborhood is on fire. This is a catastrophe at multiple levels. The likelihood of another 9-11 emerging in the next couple of years is through the roof, and it is impossible, in my view, to counter these al-Qaeda threats from over the horizon. We had a military footprint in Afghanistan that protected the homeland against another 9-11. Joe Biden destroyed that footprint against sound military advice. Here is what he said, though. He said he was boxed in. Cut three. When I came into office, I inherited a deal that President Trump negotiated with the Taliban. Under his agreement, U.S. forces would be out of Afghanistan by May 1, 2021. So he just said, I just did the deal that Trump left and I extended it. What's the reality? You talk to the president regularly. You were one person that thought the president was making a mistake with this deal. Well, number one, uh, the downside of this deal is that, uh, you know, the Trump administration let out 6,000, I think, Taliban prisoners. Well, they all went to the fight. But the idea of trying to end the war through political negotiation is the right outcome. The Taliban are not going to be well accepted by the Afghan people. There'll be armed resistance for them over time. But here's the point. President Trump had a conditions-based withdrawal that we were not going to withdraw all of our forces unless the Taliban actually broke ties with al-Qaeda and kept their word in terms of the deal negotiated. It was a conditions-based withdrawal. That's what Secretary Pompeo says. And the idea that President Biden was bound by this deal makes no sense, given that he changed every other agreement that Trump had negotiated along the border. So this was a choice that President Biden made. It wasn't something imposed upon him. He had the ability to say that the Taliban did not meet the conditions of the agreement and that I'm not going to remove forces until things are safe for us to leave. Brian, we're not going to be judged by the day we left Afghanistan in terms of our national security. We're going to be judged by what we left behind, and here's what we left behind. Tens of thousands of loyal Afghans who risk their lives to help America. Good luck getting anybody to help us in the future in the war on terror. And we also left behind thousands of foreign fighters that are now going to reemerge in Afghanistan, and hopefully the 3.0 is coming. This is a disaster. This is not Trump's decision. It was Biden's decision. There's some blame on the Trump administration, but the Trump administration had a conditions-based withdrawal. Let me just say this. To those who believe getting out was the right decision, we just did it the wrong way, I could not disagree more. Leaving Afghanistan with no American residual counterterrorism force behind is going to ensure the rise of al-Qaeda. The Taliban are now in control of the country. They will reform the alliance they have with al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda types will grow in numbers, and the likelihood of another attack coming from Afghanistan has increased tenfold because we canceled the insurance policy against another 9-11, a counterterrorism force on Afghan soil. Listen, I totally agree with you. I would also say this. Do you also believe, as General Keene, that in talking to President Trump, he said, get me through this election, and then we'll see the situation where the talks are. He he has shown you in the past— that he has yes. instincts, but he also is practical, correct? What, uh, totally, and, and I'm going to share something I haven't told him yet. We actually talked about this. 
So I, I was hard on him when he went to 2,500. We needed 4,500 troops. That's what General Miller said. He went to 2,500 before the election. But I'm convinced that if we could have shown him that the Taliban is double-dealing and that al-Qaeda is rising in strength, that he would have left a residual force, that he did this in Syria. He woke up one day and said, we're getting out of Syria. Well, I went nuts along with a lot of other people saying, Mr. President, if you leave all of our pull all of our troops in Syria out, the Kurds who destroyed ISIS for us uh, did all the fighting on the ground with our help. Uh, they'll be destroyed by Turkey and ISIS to come back. And guess what? He readjusted his policies. I'm convinced that President Trump would not have abandoned Afghanistan and allow al-Qaeda to come back if there was a genuine threat on the ground. I am now convinced that it's just a matter of time before al-Qaeda reconstitute stronger than ever in Afghanistan, and there'll be a direct threat to our homeland emerge in the next year to 18 months. And our ability to deal with that right. threat to disrupt the operations has been lost. I want you to hear what Mike Morrell, former acting director of the CIA, said. He said, stop blaming an intelligence failure. Listen. The intelligence community for the last 20 years has been more pessimistic than any other organization in the U.S. government about how this was going and whether victory was possible. So to blame intelligence now um, infuriates me, absolutely infuriates me. Your thoughts? Uh, there's a lot of truth to that. The See, here's what people don't understand. President Biden was briefed about the likelihood of a collapse in Afghanistan of a complete withdrawal. The only thing they got wrong was the time. Nobody suggested to President Biden that the Taliban wouldn't come back. It's just a matter of how soon they would come back. Everyone told him if you pull all of our forces out of Afghanistan, the likelihood of a Taliban takeover is great. And there will be a certain reemergence of al-Qaeda. He thought he knew better than the military. He thought that that wouldn't happen. He was wrong. So we've left tens of thousands of people behind uh, because we did this so haphazardly. We now have a terrorist organization back in charge of Afghanistan who allowed uh, the, the place to be used to attack the United States. There is no smart way to turn a country over to terrorists and be safe here at home. And I just end with this thought. The only reason 3,000 Americans died on 9-11, Brian, is that al-Qaeda couldn't think of a better way to kill more of us. They will continue to try to think of ways to kill yep. Americans. That's in their DNA. They want to take over the world and impose Islamic law on the world writ large. And you get that, and so few people, uh, others do. Senator Lindsey Graham, thanks so much. Simulcast with FBN News. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'll be taking your calls on the back end of this, 1-866-408-7669, or write me at briankilmeade.com. I'm about to go on FBN, fast-growing cable uh, channel in the country, and we're still following the chaos in Afghanistan, where we understand the, the presumed leader of the Taliban has arrived in country. One of their highest officials used to be at Gitmo. 
was known as a Bin Laden buddy. But let's listen to Stewart. That means it's time for Brian Kilmeade. Here he is. All right, Brian, Chris Cuomo back on the air at CNN for the first time after his brother's scandal. He said he was just trying to do the right thing. Watch this, please. I tried to do the right thing, and I just want you all to know that. I wasn't in control of anything. I was there to listen and offer my take. And my advice to my brother was simple and consistent. Own what you did. Tell people what you'll do to be better. Be contrite. I did urge my brother to resign when the time came. All right, you're hot under the collar about a lot of things. What do you got to say about Chris Cuomo? Well, I, number one, I have enough careers to worry about. I'm worried about you, Stuart. I do a lot of your negotiating and most of your staff. Uh, I also have my own. Uh, as far as his career, his biggest problem is not being loyal to his brother. His biggest problem was what he did after he said he wouldn't do anything anymore. And there's a lot of people who think after he said and apologized to his colleagues and told CNN he shouldn't have done and been a consultant to his brother and didn't, instead of taking an offer up from the company to step aside until his brother's problems were uh, had eased or resolved, he kept advising. If that was the case, uh, that is egregious, and then he's not telling the truth again. In terms of CNN, who's watching? I mean, my goodness, do they have any credibility? Every time Joe Biden does something, they just avoid the story. At the border, they avoid the story. Cuba, they avoid the story. Uh, the, the inflation, they avoid the story. They can't avoid the Afghanistan story. So quick, bring Chris Cuomo back. It's so overwhelmingly bad. Joe Biden is so overwhelmingly inept. His speech was so low sure. and, so, uh, and was so unsatisfactory. Let's bring him back, get the speech over with, and it'll be the fifth most important thing on any news network. And that's what they're hoping for. But in terms of firing, let go, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I would just say that uh, CNN's got some huge problems. Oh, well, I think you could leave it right there. Uh, it, the, the New York City's got this indoor vaccine requirement. Starts today. You want to go to a restaurant or a bar or a gym, you've got to show proof of vaccination. I would have thought that's the last thing this city wants, ruining businesses like that. I thought that's the last thing this city wants, but that's what we've got. I am so outraged by this, I can't put it into words, because I'm very familiar with the restaurant business, the bar business, the gym business, and they've been hurt so much. Now they're going to say, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Varney. I'm sorry, Mr. Kilmeade. I'm sorry, Mr. Johnson. You're not allowed to come in because you don't have your vaccine card with you. And then all of a sudden, inspectors are going to come in. And if the third person at a table is not vaccinated, the, the restaurant is going to get fined $1,000, $2,000, multiple offenses. That means we're paying inspectors to harass business owners well, who are providing a tax base for a city that's flat on its back and has been squandering our money for, on. for generations. Hold on a second, Brian. We had it in the New York Times two weeks ago. 27% of the black adults in the Bronx are not vaccinated. That means 73% of the black people in the Bronx cannot go out to eat or a bar or a gym. I call that flat-out exclusion. Uh, that is a great point, a great stat. They love telling Trump supporters who allegedly are reluctant to get vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. I don't really know many people. I know people that are curious about the mRNA technology because they want to know what goes into their body. Excuse me. And they don't want to get yelled at by an anchor or a host. Number two is 
Good luck, New York. You've abused this city. You've abused business and got a big check despite because Joe Biden's a Democrat that you did not deserve. And now you're going to start shuttering away in, uh, in the boroughs of New York uh, would-be customers. By the way, these are little index cards. They were knocking off flawless licenses yeah. on 42nd Street for yeah. like 60 years. Good yeah. luck to, on the authenticity problem. Uh, quick one. You know that President Trump is still banned from Twitter? Did you know that the Taliban are not banned from Twitter and they're spewing out their stuff all over it? Can you believe this? Yeah, I do. I mean, the Ayatollah is still on Twitter. You have uh, so many uh, oligarchs and officials and Vladimir Putin is still on Twitter. You have all these other people. It was the big message is this. President should never have done January 6th, biggest mistake of his career by far, and let's hope for his sake it's the biggest mistake he'll ever make. But he gave them an opportunity to sideline people that was bigger than social media. He was the most important man on social media or woman, period, bar none. And they sideline him. They don't want him running again. And that's more important to the social media moguls than anything else. Make sure Donald Trump doesn't run again. And it would truly be yeah. extremely tough if there's no Facebook for him and no Twitter for him. It is a furnace of activity. Got it. Hey, Brian, good stuff today. Thanks for joining us. We will see you again. Go get That's him, Stuart. 1-866-408-7669. But before we were going with Stuart, we were had a chance to talk to Senator Lindsey Graham. He basically was friends with Joe Biden. He gave a speech at some major moments for Joe Biden, but he cannot go along with the Joe Biden he's seeing right now. And in terms of what's happening, we understand some false information probably is given out. The Taliban just had um, their leader land in, and this just came across now. So let me try to uh, find it. Um, there, The Taliban leader just came across, and he basically said, uh, we want all Americans out of the country. I don't know if uh, he is the de facto leader. He says uh, the co-founder, his name is Bar Baradar, and I believe you see him pictured with uh, former Secretary of State Pompeo. He says uh, uh, he was returning to the birthplace of the southern city of Kandahar. His homecoming signaled a consolidation of the Taliban rule. The Taliban Tuesday announced a general amnesty for government officials and ordered fighters to maintain discipline. Uh, at the same time, the United States and other nations resumed military evacuation efforts for allied Afghans. U.S. forces Reopen Kabul for military flights uh, that happened on late money is happening right now. It does not explain why the Taliban around the airport and does not explain how a lot of our assets and our people are going to get from Kandahar and other major cities uh, out. Little on the security we're going to leave behind and the intelligence that we no longer have. And as I tweeted out, they have a huge cachet of our armament. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country. Really, we're heard around the world. The impact is great. Uh, Ryan Zinke is going to be with us, the former congressman from Montana, who's going to be coming back, we believe, to Montana. He's going to try to get that open seat now that they're increasing population. 
Kirk Herbstreet, one of the best sportscasters in the country, ESPN's College Game Day and author of a brand new book, Out of the Pocket, uh, Football, Fatherhood, and College Game Day Saturdays. So, you know, he was quarterback in Michigan and now an outstanding broadcaster with great contacts. So I thought we could take a little break for more. So before we get to Congressman Ryan Zinke, former Secretary Ryan Zinke, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The White House is expected to announce that anyone who got the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine should get a booster shot about eight months after their second dose. Here we go again. Uh, COVID cases continue. A third booster is coming up within eight months. So there you go. Should we stop with the lockdown, stop with the mask mandates and learn to live with this? It's about time. Thanks, China. Number two. How does the Biden administration miscalculate this intelligence so gravely? This is a fiasco. This is about leaving hastily and ineptly. Friends and foes alike are calling this withdrawal a fiasco. How do we get it so wrong? Who is responsible for the fall of operations in the Afghan government? How is this playing in the media around the world? And what is next? We'll talk about it. Number one. I'm now the fourth American president to preside over war in Afghanistan. Two Democrats and two Republicans. I will not pass this responsibly on, responsibility on to a fifth president. Oh. I am president of the United States of America, and the buck stops with me. But I'll blame everybody else for my problem. As it unfolds, we bring you the latest from Afghanistan as the Taliban take power. Uh, their presumed leader has landed in Kandahar. The U.S. scrambles to save allies and citizens caught in the country and avoid disastrous scenes like the one that we're seeing all Monday. These images will humiliate the president, his administration, and America for generations. He essentially just crushed his legacy and hopes for a successful presidency. That's my view. Uh, joining me now is the former Interior Secretary uh, Ryan Zinke. Congressman, welcome back. Well, always good to be with you. You know, I was talking to Peter uh, right before the the show, and we're talking about the resiliency of New York. And you know what? You got a you got a terrible mayor, you got a terrible governor, and yet New York is still pumping. So, you know, good good luck with New York. The rest of the country marvels at you guys. Yeah, well, we also have a ma- vaccine mandate. Today's the first day. Try to uh, eat at a restaurant, go yeah. to a gym or at a bar if you don't have your vaccine card. So I guess I got to go get my polio shot, too, my whooping cough, and we got to make sure that's all done. Uh, I got to make sure no what, one's, you know, what's going on here? Yeah, well, it's only because New York are, are, are tough, so you're able to survive the storm. But look at, look at Afghanistan. You know, we left our allies and families hanging. And when I say hanging, uh, their destiny is not good. And so, you know, special forces are across the, across the globe. The war on terrorism continues. And we oftentimes rely on our friends and allies and foreign troops. The special forces calls it we win the hearts and minds. We don't win the hearts and minds when we abandon families and interpreters and their families. You know, who would work with us now? You know, you, you look at that. That's a, that's a signal that across the board. It is a disgrace. How long did you serve? You served as Navy SEAL from 1986 to, to uh, 2008, right? Uh, yep, 23 years. Uh, you know, and the, the SEALs, when I was in, uh, a little different. Uh, you know, we, we trained hard. We were trying to integrate technology in the battlefield, and occasionally we'd go to war. These guys today, they come in the, in, the, in the service and the SEALs, their entire career will, will be at war. And 
you know, and, and we and SEALs and Special Forces and, and the veterans, you know, we're pretty passionate about Afghanistan. You know, I agreed with, you know, it was time to leave, but you don't leave like this. You don't leave in the in the in the dark of the night without a plan and watch the same terrorists that, that knocked down the tower. You know, the Twin Towers on September 11th, those same guys, a lot of them have been released by Guantanamo, right? Same guys, same faces. They're at the heart of it. And now they have Afghanistan. And look at the people. Look at the schools. Look at the children. This is a catastrophe. 700 people, we understand, have left, uh, departed in the last 24 hours, 150 Americans. There's estimated, there's tens of thousands. And a lot of them... Uh, Ryan Zinke are not in Kabul. So what do you do now? If I, if I, you know, you're a commander. Uh, how do we do this now that we've, we've abandoned all our bases, all our heavy equipment? Uh, they have all of. I, they, I imagine they have the Afghan Air Force if they left the keys in the engine. So what do we do now? Well, what do we do now? <clears throat> because you're you're right. I mean, we we left the keys in it. The the Afghan military was not was not in a position you know, to defend all across the country, and there's a signal, right? And Afghanistan is a lot about momentum. Is when when the momentum's against you, you know, it's very hard to maneuver. And so, as the Taliban began to to gain power and momentum, there was very little that the centralized government could do. So now we're stuck in a quagmire. What do you do with the refugees? You know, how do you how do you deal do you deal with the, the Taliban militarily? Do you deal with them diplomatically? Uh we're in a box. And so and there are a lot of a, a lot of innocent civilians and allies that fought for with us. You know, and you, and you look at interpreter. Now, these guys, you know, would, would put their, their whole life at risk. A lot of times there was retribution their families. Their families were, were, were killed. And so they fought side by side uh, with us in Afghanistan, uh, similar with Iraq, and, and similarly across the globe. And, and when we leave in such a manner, uh, you know, it's a, it's a signal, Brian. And so now, now we're stuck, you know, what do we do? We, we do the right thing. As we try to help our allies, uh, it may be that we we look at Pakistan. You know that border is is a sieve; it always has been between Pakistan and Afghanistan, and try to and try to help the people that that helped us. I mean, look, look at the southern border: two hundred ten thousand people came across the the border. We don't know who they are. We don't know if they're if they're if they're if they're in, infected. We have no idea in criminal records, and we're not helping our allies. That went toe to toe, so I think we we are going to have to probably from Pakistan, probably from the neighboring countries, you know, uh, provide some assistance and help for those families. I think that would be first and foremost. Yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll tell you one thing: I, I can imagine uh, a poor execution of a decision that was ill-advised to begin with than the one President Biden went through to the point where his his his. His decision was so illogical, blaming Trump that the deal was in place and boxed him in when he undid every other Trump decision that he could, and then going ahead and doing this without any planning and executing it in the beginning of the fighting season, which any military person who ever put on face paint or camouflage would have advised him at any level, any officer level, not to do. It has people like Rick Scott and Ryan Crocker, former ambassador to the Afghanistan and uh, Iraq, wondering if he is capable of being president. 
Well, you're exactly right on 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 timing, right? Historically, spring offensive, summer offensive. This is what happens in Afghanistan. Uh, so you you don't do a military action and leave uh, one in the in the dark of the night, and two uh, when you're putting the the battlefield advantage uh, to the Taliban. Uh, it you know it's it's. You look at the, the the last few months, asking OPEC to produce more. When we're doing everything we can to, to kill oil and gas and energy in this country, so you're asking OPEC to produce energy. And and look, environmentally, it is better to produce energy in this country under our regulatory scheme than watch it get produced overseas with no regulation. Right. So you have that. You have a border. It, we don't have a southern border. You know, I'm in Montana, and I can tell you the northern border is locked up. And these are these are law-abiding, good citizens of, of Canada that just want to come across, you know, and enjoy. A lot of them have second homes up in Montana, businesses. They want to legally come across the border. And we're not allowing that, but we're full throttle without a border on the southern end. And then Afghanistan. I mean, strike one, strike two, strike three, and don't worry, he's going after the economy and your taxes too. Yeah, let's uh, let's, let's keep it on Afghanistan for now because we're going to see how this unfolds. Also, it looks like Germany has now landed some uh, transport planes in. They're looking to get their people out. Russia is starting military maneuvers on the Afghanistan border again. They are debating whether to recognize the Taliban government who are giving cursory words that we want to have a coalition government and we're not going to hold revenge, but we'll have a revenge. But we are getting reports now that there is revenge being brought out, that women are being told to leave their jobs and send back their male relatives. So it's beginning to happen again. Now, some people are listening, saying, I'm not here. I'm not, you know, I'm an American. I'm worried about America. I'm not going to worry about women around the world. I can't handle uh, all of this, we not we can't afford to handle all of that. Here's General David Petraeus on what this means. Cut 22. It's just sort of undeniable that this is a blow to America's credibility um, and, frankly, to our reputation around the world. Again, I don't know how anyone could could argue with that assessment. Uh, if you look at the pic- pictures, if you look at the situation, if you realize how catastrophic. Uh, this is, I, again, I think that is not not arguable. The question is, again, how? Do, what do you do? And the question is, what do you do? Why didn't they fight? And that's what everyone keeps saying. We see the U.K. Uh, defense secretary uh, say, you know, we, we caught us by surprise. We can't believe they didn't fight. The head of the U.N., we can't believe they didn't fight. Excuse me, NATO, can't believe they didn't fight. That's what President Biden said. But I was fascinated to see these numbers, Ryan Zinke. It looks like the Afghans, since 2015, have lost between 53 and 57,000 uh, members of their fighting force. It sounds like they're fighting. They've lost 2,600 Afghanis since August 6th. So if those numbers are correct, and our State Department has them, how do you not fight and get that many KI, uh, killed in action? Well, you know, Afghanistan, again, it is a lot of momentum, right? Battlefield momentum. When when you pull out as we did, and and they and they and they start one city, two city, three cities. Remember, you know, a relatively small force can take these 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 smaller cities. 
and then it's momentum. And then, then you look at the wave, and if you're sitting behind a, a gun turret on the Afghan forces side, and you know your family's gonna 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 receive retribution, and we and do you trust the Taliban saying they're gonna have a coalition government? Zero, zero trust. So you know that's what they're lo- lo- looking at, and we did not prepare you know a, a centralized close air support with enough power yep, uh, in, in the centralized government where, where we could reach out and at least hold ground, uh, but we didn't. You know we we more or less left. We said you know here here you go take take the most sophisticated equipment we have. And by the way, here are the keys, but you know sometimes the a coalition force. Uh, military force requires working together, coordinated operations. But when you take the coordination out and the U.S. is right. not leading, uh, this is what happens. And I absolutely agree with General Petraeus uh, that, look, our, our credibility you know, ha- has been stained, wounded, perhaps even destroyed for, for at least this presidency. I mean, we, how can and, you trust this presidency? Well, China uh, came uh, out. What and- if you're an ally in – yeah, and you're sitting in Africa, and you face the same thing, right? Uh, is America going to be there when, when needed? And the answer, evidently, is no. So a Chinese national newspaper said that's a message to Taiwan, uh, that America will not be there when you need them. So you don't even have oh, to I... get a perspective on a source with inside China. They actually said it. Well, in, in Taiwan, you know, we're extended in the South China Sea, as you know, the Chinese missile defense now is out, you know, hundreds of miles. Uh, so, you know, our ability to operate with impunity, you know, as great as the Navy as we have in the South China Sea, you know, we've we've long since lost that. And now you have Taiwan. It, it's 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 very clear where where China you know is is going with with Taiwan, and I I would imagine Taiwan is feeling really really nervous. Right. Uh, right now, because the U.S. has showed uh, our resolve and our or lack grit, of, or lack, or lack of, of thereof. Hey, uh, yeah. Ryan Zinke wants to be a congressman again. Uh, I don't know why you'd subject yourself to that, but maybe when you get in there, you'll have the majority, which means you'll have some even additional impact. Uh, he's a well, former he, Navy SEAL, former Secretary of the Interior, and he's going back again. Well, RyanZinke.com, you know, follow us. And look, it, it's fixable, but we're going to have to change course and speed now. Uh, you know, it's time to save America. Go to RyanZinke.com. We're putting some seals together. We need five to take the majority back. We're going to get five seals uh, to run and take the majority back. But follow us on RyanZinke.com. And look, if it wasn't fixable, I wouldn't go back to that sewer. But you know what? I'll go back to New York. New York is showing grit. And even though even though you've been thrown everything at you, you know what? New York is still at the economic juggernaut. And if people would let you, your your you know, your mayor and your governor, if people would let you go to your potential in New York, I can tell you, you'd be the envy of of, of us all. So I, I still love New York. God bless New York. Congressman uh, uh, Ryan Zinke, thanks so much. Uh, when we come back, your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Then we take a break. Talk a little football with Kirk Herbstreit of ESPN. Brian Kilmeade. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You know, I wasn't as excited about the pullout as some others were. You and I yes. may have a disagreement about that. But as for this, the execution of this piece of it, it's a disaster. That, and look, that's what he inherited. He inherited a drawn-down force about to be removed right. from Afghanistan. His job was to remove it safely and effectively, right? And the consequences of his decision-making about how to do that are what we saw today and yesterday. He See, get, he, this is on him. This piece of it is on him. No question. And Britt Hume knows. And he doesn't go out there as an attack plan. He puts it all in perspective because of uh, of what he's seen and what he's done. And Joe Biden's speech yesterday did not help. This is what I give him credit for. He believed every word he said. That was his. Because everything that he said, he talked about. And Richard Holbrook wrote about when Holbrook was in Pakistan trying to negotiate uh, the Afghanistan-Pakistan uh, peace agreement and the Taliban to ratchet down the attacks. And he said, Joe Biden basically came in and said, let's just pull out. And he said, what about the girls? He goes, don't worry about that. They got away with it in 1975. We'll get away with it, too. And he used an expletive. We know he pulled his troops right out of Iraq. He's like, we don't belong in Iraq. Let's get him out of here. We won the war already. General Mattis tried to say something different. He pulled him out, and it was a disaster. Baghdad almost fell. And then we know how he felt about the, uh, you know, he didn't want to go after bin Laden. He also didn't want to go do the surge. So it did not surprise me they gave a speech yesterday. But the problem is... The false narrative. He said, I could either bolster with troops and fight for another 10 years and live for another president of thousands of troops, or we could pull out entirely. That is not your only choice. You could put 4,000 in there, continue to do counterterror, have no interest in owning the country, setting up a democracy unless those people want it, and provide the air cover and training for those who are fighting, and gradually let go of the financing for the institutions because when he never told the American people is the benefit we're getting for being there. And that's the big difference. We were getting a benefit and with safety and security and you don't have to snow. You don't have to sell. You have to tell. And he didn't do that because he wanted to get out because he has guts by staying in camp, David and cowering, refusing to come off vacation, making one speech and flying right back. Kirk Herbstreet next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. There'll be certain programs like Alabama or Notre Dame or Ohio State in which you have the 35th member of the football squad being marketed. And I I think you have female athletes also, especially those that might go to the Olympics. So they'll be able to do endorsements. They'll be able to accept revenue from anything from a a trading card to online appearance. So there you go. Just like that, college football has changed forever, and it's just the beginning. No one knows exactly where it goes from here. People say it's overdue or it's the beginning of the end. Kirk Herbstreet, analyst for ESPN's College Game Day, author of a brand-new book, Out of the Pocket, Football, Fatherhood, and College Game Day Saturdays. We'll take a break from war, peace, and evacuations to talk uh, football with outstanding broadcaster himself and athlete Kirk Herbstreet. Kirk, welcome. Brian, what's up, man? How you doing? Congratulations on the book. It's very personal. I, I mean, I've written books, but not about me. Uh, yeah, and, this is tough. Was I've that never tough? Written a book? 
Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we talk football, we talk broadcasting, we tell stories, you know, about some of my experiences with coaches and all that behind the scenes kind of stuff. But it was really, as you said, it was more of a memoir, more of a, just a chance to open up. I'm a, I'm kind of a introverted guy. I don't really do that very often. And, um, with Gene Wojciechowski, who's a colleague of mine at ESPN and, and works on game day. He's, a, he's an author and writes a bunch of books and just decided that if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And, and uh, I went through a lot of dysfunction as a kid and a divorced parent. Uh, my parents divorced when I was eight and um, they remarried and got divorced again. I went to like eight schools in nine years. So, and for a shy kid, that's a, that's a tough thing to deal with. And, um, and so we go through a lot of, of kind of the trials and tribulations of just being a son to, to a dad who was a hero, and then he was gone. Not really – I mean, he wasn't completely gone, but just not around as much as I wanted him to be. And then kind of talk about full circle becoming a dad myself and questioning if I'm doing a, a good job just because I didn't really have a dad in the house to, to kind of coach me up or show me the right way. So, yeah, we, we touched on a bunch of stuff, got very vulnerable, which is unusual for me. and. But uh, I think the the hope is that for the reader, that some of these stories will resonate. Some of these uh, things that I've been through, maybe people can understand and, and relate to their own experiences and some of the things that they've been through. And and then there's a lot of uplifting, fun stuff too. But it's just a very candid um, memoir about about my journey. Yeah, and I want to get to more of that in just a second. Uh, college football is going to change this year. Not only do you have the – we're coming off the pandemic, and that, man, it was empty stadiums and empty college game days. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the things that really stuck with me. Number two is what's going to happen now. So I'm a freshman. I'm coming in. I think I'll choose Nebraska. They got me a few great marketing deals. Uh, I'm going to be able to represent a dealership and local commercials. Or I could go to maybe Alabama, University of Texas, University of North Carolina. Kirk, things have changed with recruiting. Scary. Scary. I mean, on one hand, like I thought you put it very well, you know, on one hand, it's it's about time. Some people say, you know, name, image and likeness. These players should own their own name, name image and likeness. And then on the other hand, you're, where is this leading? You know what? Um, you know, this is a team sport and, you know, you're, you're encouraging people to focus on their individual brand. And I get it. I have, th- I have three kids that are in college, two, two of which play football. It's not like I have my head in the sand and I'm not willing to accept things change, things evolve. I understand it. I'm okay, you know, with it. I'm just worried not everybody's going to be responsible. Not everyone's – there's going to be some stories where things don't go well. They're going to recalibrate this thing in a couple years, and, and then I think we'll be in a better place. But right now it's the wild, wild west. Do whatever you want. Nobody's policing it. Wow. Um, there's been some scary stories that have come up. There's been some great stories. The BYU story, I don't know if you saw that online, but basically a, a, a business came in, and they put a couple guys, uh, they brought them to the front of the room. They said, you're, you're now on scholarship. You're working hard. We got your, your we're covering you. You're, and then they said, you know what? Every walk on in the whole room, stand up. And they stood up. They said, you're all on scholarship. We all, we, so th- those kind of stories are pretty cool. Um, but there, there's going to bound to be some stories. You worry about the IRS, tax evasion. Is everybody being responsible about, you know, what they owe? Things like that, you know, are bound to happen, I would think. So like Alabama on a salary cap, University of Texas on a salary cap. Uh, is there going to be a small <laughs> Shippenburg state that's going to have a great benefactor that's going to be able to recruit, you know, the next Tim Tebow? 
I don't know. I don't, I mean, we're we're kind of all like you said. We're sitting back watching, wow. and, and we're going to learn. If you don't know, Kirk, uh, right we're now. dead. If you can't, if you're still, I mean, is there anyone that does? Well, we know? have to experience it, we, Brian. We got to experience this thing to really. We can speculate all we want, but we're we're two months into it, and and once we get a year into it, I've talked with a lot of coaches, and what you use as an example, um, you know, you're a five star recruit, you're looking at Nebraska or this school or that school, and they're all saying. Well, when it comes to name, image, and likeness, we can do this. That's not what name, image, and likeness is for. It's not supposed to be used as a recruiting ploy and promises because right. it's supposed to be, hey, this guy's a starting running back or this guy's, a, you know, he's, he's built up a name for himself in social media. It's supposed to be about rewarding kids for the individual brand, not, you know, adults using the potential of if you come here, you'll make a million dollars in name, image, and likeness. You know, there, there's, that's not what it's, it's being used that way, but that's not what it is intended to do. It's just kind of interesting. For example, I, I think it was Jerry Jones went to Arkansas, right? Played football. Yeah. So let's see, he wants Arkansas to start be, be, becoming a, a factor again. Uh, and he knows the value right. of offensive linemen. And, you know, maybe right. they're not the sexiest and I can have a great return, but they're going to get the team wins. All right, I need the two best tackles in uh, in high school football, and I need them to go to University of Arkansas. I got some money. You know what? I think I'm going to hire you to do some marketing for, um, you know, for the Cowboys, and I'm going to get you to represent yeah. the Cowboys as the next generation of Cowboys, young, whatever it is. I can come up with something, and I'm doing it above board. Is there uh, is there my breaking any rule that, that you know of? Not not that I know of. No, that's why that's why I'm saying this is all so new. Wow. No one's policing it. And so I think within a year or two, you're going to see some guardrails put on this. It's going to recalibrate. But right now, no. I mean, it's, you know, you can't just throw them a million dollars for fun. I mean, you got to, you got to quote unquote, come up with a job. You got to come up with a way that they're representing your company. But uh, yeah, I mean, what right. you're saying could happen. So, Kirk, I, I've said this to other people. You have to take me on my word. I think you're just a fantastic broadcaster. I used to do sports. The fact that you could walk off the field and be that good so quick with a lot of veterans that have been doing it forever, the confidence that you showed, you could go beyond football. I'm sure you will. So I'm anxious to read your book. I did not know the blonde-haired, blue-haired, quarter, blonde-haired, blue-haired, uh, blue-eyed quarterback would have trouble making friends and was a shy kid. That goes against the after-school specials I grew up watching. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the truth, man. I, I was an introvert. Still, still am an introvert. It's just the way I'm wired. Um, and I, I think because of my real humble beginnings, it's allowed me just to stay very grounded and not get caught up in the world that you and I know. You know, it's it's been very easy for me to just be one of the guys and just be on the on doing my job and. Um, you know, you get some individual accolades and people recognize your work. And, you know, I, when I do, when I get that, you know, whether it's Emmys or whatever, I, I'm, I'm quick to deflect, you know, I, I don't want the individual right. attention. And I think it just goes back to the, the way I, way I came up, you know, and, uh, I love what I do, man, just like you love what you do. And, and I think that's, there's a big story in my book about having some marketing opportunities. I was a business major at Ohio state. I could have gone into Worthington uh, Industries, which is a big company, or pharmaceutical sales, and could have gone the safe route. And I, I turned all that down and took a radio job because it sounded like a lot of fun to talk sports for a living. And I, I took that job for $12,000, knowing I, I had no idea what that would lead to. And I think that the thing which you have found, you got to find a passion, something you love exactly. to do. And 
not get caught up in the money. And the money will come if you find something you love to do. And I try to tell these college kids when I go on these campuses about that that message, and hopefully they hear it. So uh, Kirk Herbstreit you're talking to me right now, ESPN analyst. You see him all over. He's got a brand-new book out. It's called Out of the Pocket, Football, Fatherhood, and College Game Day Saturdays. Kirk, a couple of things sticks out. As good as you were, even to get recruited to Ohio State, you got to be good. To become captain in 1992, you got to be excellent. Uh, it took you three years to become a starter. You and your dad, I think, are one of the few father-sons to ever go to Ohio State and both mm-hmm. become captain. There's a lot of accolades yep. there, but you also say it was a little frustrating. How it was? It, how was it frustrating that you weren't a four-year starter? No, because I came in as a five-star camp miss prospect and fell flat on my face. And I, I address that in the book and, and take ownership of that. I don't blame anybody or point fingers. I, I, you know, as a 51-year-old, it's very easy to look back and say, hey, you know, I, I, I ran the football a lot as a quarterback in high school. And I went to Ohio State because my dad was a captain there. I was going to Ohio State no matter what offense they ran. And it just didn't fit. It was not a fit. And I was to a point after three years, I was becoming cynical, uh, you know, almost like a cancer. And I was, I did not like who I was at that time. And I wanted to quit, wanted to stop playing football. And my dad, instead of yelling at me and telling me to get my, you know, what together, he just, he, he was more of encouraging at that point in my life. He was more of, Hey, you know, go give it another try, go through another spring. And I, you know, I think this thing might be changing for the better for you. And, and so even though my dad wasn't around a lot when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, um, you know, he, he still was a guy that I looked up to and admired. And so I listened to him and, and I, I did the best I could. And my junior year, I ended up playing some, you know, we kind of split duties with another guy, but really my senior year is when I became a captain and, and um, was able to try to put it all together in one year. But for me, it was just, it, it wasn't the, the, the journey that I thought it, it would be and, and could be. And it, it, um, it, it was, it was something that I think when I look at it in the book, I talk about um, how, when you go through, you know, a, a situation and, and it's not always the way you envision, you're going to quit because it's not going your way. And I think today we're raising a generation of kids yep. that, you know, that's what they do. You know, they, they give up. And I, I think I learned so much about myself by going through that, and uh, the perseverance, the hard work, getting knocked down, getting back up, having patience, and it, it really changed me for the better for the rest of my life. Have you had your has your sons? You have four sons, right? Yeah. Fours. Have your sons gone through anything similar? Oh yeah, yeah. They they have, and you know my my kids. Um, well, first of all, my twins were born uh, at twenty eight weeks. My identical twins, they were, my wife didn't know at the time she had an incompetent cervix. And so we went in for week 20 for a routine checkup and they immediately said that she was funneling and and going into labor and we didn't know. And so she, she laid in a hospital bed for eight weeks. Could you not get out for a bathroom or shower or anything? And she held on for eight weeks and they were still born at two pounds. I could take my ring off my finger down their foot all the way up to their hip bone. Wow. And here we are as first-time parents in the NICU for eight weeks. And so they were always undersized their whole lives and small and kind of underdog stories. And um, they got all the way to the point where they, they were able to be preferred walk-ons at Clemson, and they played football there. And my, my middle son, Zach, is, is at Ohio State as a third-generation Buckeye. So they're, they're going through plenty of adversity, and, and um, I'm trying to be there as a dad, like their corner man or their cup man, just trying to 
prop them up and right. encourage them and love them. And I don't want to come up with answers for them. I want them to figure it out, but I do want to try to be there to support them and offer whatever advice I can to try to help them get through some tough times. Kirk Herbst here, I guess. Kirk, this, the, I saw this moment live on television when the BLM stuff was happening, the protests were happening and the George Floyd thing was taking place. And you had this reaction to the sense where you thought race relations were in America. Cut 43. How do you listen to these stories and not feel pain and, and not, not want to help? You know what I mean? It's like wearing a hoodie, putting your, your hands at 10 and 2. Oh, God, I better look out because I'm, I'm, I'm wearing Nike gear. Like, what? What are we talking about? You can't relate to that if you're white, but you can listen. You can try to help because this is not okay. It's just not. We got to do better, man. So, number one, did you know you were going to get that emotional? You sense you were going to get that emotional? No. And what's the reaction then? No, no, I didn't at all. I wouldn't. I, I, my my reaction as uh, at that time in America, being a white male, was to shut up and just listen when it came to these kind of uh, topics. And so my my point was I had two options. I could kind of pull out the the hybrid and keep it in the fairway and just kind of say, hey, you know, this is this is unfortunate, these situations. Or I talked with David Shaw, who's an African-American head coach at Stanford, and Derek Mason at the time was the head coach at Vanderbilt. And he's African-American as well. And I talked to them the day before about this subject and it was going to come up and I didn't really know what I should get into. And they, they talked uh, very openly about, they, they hoped I would say what I really feel. They wanted me to say what I really feel. And I debated on it cause I just don't, didn't know if it was my place. Right. And usually on game day, man, I just talk. Like I don't, I don't think about, I don't get up worked up like you probably don't get yeah, worked up study. over, over a subject yeah. matter in this case i was worked up and so it was churning inside me and i was i was listening to the feature by maria taylor with all these these players and they were talking about their stories and i have a lot of friends who are who are black and you know they've told me some of their stories i was like i'm, I'm gonna play it safe 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 and then as i started to talk i was like Oh my God, here I go. And then I just started to talk and I had, I didn't have an agenda. I didn't have, you know, it, the reaction has been, you know, of, of, I can't believe you, you know, what's wrong with you. Um, you're an idiot. Um, you're part of the problem. And then there's been a lot of other people who are like, man, thanks. Thanks for having empathy. You know, thanks for listening. Thanks for being willing to do that. And I think that's right. been the overwhelming majority of people but i just said what was in my heart like i didn't got it i didn't really have an agenda in any way at all well kirk you know this i gotta go to a commercial you live that life too uh the book yeah. is the book is excellent it's called out of the pocket football fatherhood and college game day saturdays uh kirk curb street my first job was also twelve thousand dollars so no wonder there we you can go. retire so early <laughs> <laughs> great congratulations on the book kirk have a great season keep up the great work brian see you buddy thank you back in a moment Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. My brother, as you know, resigned as governor of New York and will be stepping down next week. There are a lot of people 
feeling a lot of hurt and a lot of pain right now. And my hope is that ultimately everyone involved can get to a better place, that some higher good will be served in all of this. That is Chris Cuomo last night in a time in which I guess he had to pick his spots. I don't know. It's not up to me to take care of his vacation hours, but I, I assume he was supposed to be out all week. He wasn't. Uh, there were reports that his uh, wife was out out through the Hamptons without him with five other, which is, uh, I guess, girls night over the weekend. It's in page six this weekend. But it's been tough for him because he's been under scrutiny. They were high-fying Cuomo's. He was going to be the next president. Uh, I guess he would have been vice president. Who knows? They were on during uh, the worst times of the pandemic, mysteriously kidding around, thought everything was funny. It never seemed appropriate to me. CNN obviously regrets it. When things went south, he disappeared from the story, and it turns out he was advising his brother uh, most of the time. And he said, I didn't take the lead. I was just listening. Other people on those phone calls say he took the lead. He had an opportunity, according to reports, to step aside and focus. His job would be there. He decided not to. The big question for Chris Cuomo and CNN is, was he continuing to advise after he apologized for doing it? Meanwhile, uh, his brother is still governor, leaving in about a week. Why is he still making policy? Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.